Adams, Adamly, Adamowski, Bueller, Burns, Burns, Burns. <laughs> Gone with that mic in your hand. It's time for school. Rock school. With your hosts, Dr. Joe Burns. And the problem is the casket lid went boom. And they couldn't get the silver. And it was probably a real one, huh? And I'm thinking to myself, why would it lock? Class is in. This is the Rock School Radio Show here on the Rock School Radio Network. I'm Joe Burns. You are? Tammy Burns. Tammy, I've said this before on the show. I usually do the seven days and 70 seconds first because there might be something I want to make a whole show out of. Right. And that's what happened. August 30th, 1970, Jimi Hendrix is playing the Isle of Wight Festival and radio signals kept coming through his amplifier. Now, there's no way in 1970 he was using wireless technology. But he plays a Stratocaster, which has single-coil pickups, not humbuckers. I, I know, I know, I know you can, you can shoehorn in a humbucker, but his had single-coil. And the single-coil doesn't have that canceling effect. So if you're near a strong RF signal, it'll come right through the system. Wow. The pickup will act as an antenna. Very cool. I played in a band with a guy one time that, that all he used was single-coil pickups, and we practiced on campus, and the college radio tower was right there mm-hmm. and he could turn just so and you'd hear the radio station through his amplifier well you remember the partridge family right that's right she heard it in was it her braces oh her braces picked it up yeah absolutely absolutely not braces can't be like that hey don't ruin it for you me can't, imagine if, it was a great 1970s experience imagine, don't tell me that imagine if your glasses and your braces we're out of a ferrous material. Uh-huh. Now, I, I don't know for sure about braces, but it has to be the same. Okay. Imagine being near a ferrous, you know, non-metal. Yeah. You know, I'm sure it's metal, but it's not anything that's magnetic. Right. I mean, let's imagine if you're, you know, walking out in a rainstorm uh-huh. and you get close to a bolt of lightning. Don't you think something's going to happen to the braces? Oh, yeah, I do. <sighs> I will argue with the yep. Partridge family all day because <laughs> it didn't come together when mom sang along oh anyway back to what i was doing here so what about the Jimi hendrix thing Mm -hmm. it was the inspiration for the scene in spinal tap where the band plays on an air force base and was using rf machinery yeah and the 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 cross chatter of the tower and the planes was coming through the amplifiers. And I thought, that's that's funny. And by the way, they were playing the song Sex Farm. So (laughs) I thought, for the sake of argument, do we know the, what would you call it, the genesis of any more of the movie? Where did this stuff come from? Mm -hmm. And it's a simple Google search. And you can find the members of the movie explaining where everything came from. Wow. So, why were they 
on an army base, pardon me, Air Force base, rather than doing what like Hendrix was doing, go play in front of a festival crowd right. with your your jazz set. It says here that keyboardist John Sinclair was working as sort of a consultant on the movie. He is the keyboardist for Uriah Heep. And in the middle of the movie, he leaves the band. And one of the first places he plays is on an Air Force base. And he said, he called back to the to the movie and said, it is the most absurd thing. This has to go into wow. the movie. Love it. And so that's how it that's how it got into the movie. So here you go. Let's play what they were playing. Once again, Sex Farm from the is it called the Black Album? It's I think the album is still called Smell the Glove, but it doesn't have a glove on the front. <laughs> All hour long, we're going to talk about the the auspices of the things that happened in Spinal Tap. That's probably not the right word. On Rock School. Real quick, before the next one, I found an article that Sting absolutely adores the movie, but specifically the scene where Nigel Tufnell, Christopher Guest, is playing this beautiful piano piece for Rob Reiner, the the, the director in the movie and the actual director of the movie. Right. And he says, yes, it's in D minor, <laughs> which I think is the saddest of all keys. <laughs> I've, I've shown you this multiple times that singers sing in certain keys. Yeah. And Sting sings perfectly in guess what key? D minor. He thinks that's hilarious. Okay. We're talking about the inspirations for the things. Auspices wasn't the right word. But I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the inspiration for the things in Spinal Tap. Where did the idea come from at all? In 2017, Christopher Guest, once again, Nigel Tufnell, said what the inspiration was. He was taking part in a School of Film live event for the AV Club's Comedy Festival when he took questions from the audience. And somebody just flat out said to him, where did the idea come from? Guest sets up the story by stating he was in a hotel lobby in Los Angeles, 1974, waiting for a friend when he overheard a conversation at the front desk, which, by the way, happens in the movie. He, this is his quote. An English band was checking in, 1974, the manager was there, and I think there were four of them. And they went up to the desk and started this thing where, you know, I'm just waiting for my friend. And the manager says, hey, where's your base? And the guy goes, what? Where's your base? I don't know. I think I left it at the airport. And apparently it went downhill from there. And in his head, it just kept rolling around. What if yes. all of this could happen back and back and back. Right. Rob Reiner said that the film could have been done a lot different visually. But what he did was watch all of the films at the time that were sort of documentaries of the bands. And he saw three of them. The Rolling Stones' Gimme Shelter, the band's Last Waltz, and Led Zeppelin's The Song Remains the Same. 
And what he would do is watch scenes from one of those three movies, look at the camera angles and the whole schmeal, and then would recreate them to shoot it exactly the same way. Wow. That's where it came from. So from the song remains the same, Zeppelin here on Rock School. I found something that is a bit of contention. Black Sabbath claims that the Stonehenge bit was based off their actual stage prop. The movie, though, states, no, the whole scene was shot a year before the Sabbath tour that featured a Stonehenge prop. Wow. A Stonehenge, it's just an introductory piece of kind of organ music. However, they did bring in a Stonehenge. And it, they just don't line up. However, Black Sabbath continues to say, we even hired two little people to come out and dance. I get the feeling that they're trying to steal this one, but what have you. Oh, it's funny. If you remember Harry Shearer, he played Derek Smalls. He was the bassist. Yeah. If you remember when he played, his left hand was almost always in the air, which means it wasn't on the bass actually playing. Okay, where did that come from? Apparently, he toured for a short while with the heavy metal band Saxon. And the bassist for Saxon is Steve Dawson. Shear watched how he stood on stage and how he always had his arm in the air. And he finally said to him, man, you, your arm's always in the air. What are you, how are you playing the instrument? And he says, well, it's a heavy metal band. So all of the songs are in either E or A, which is the open strings. So I really am only plucking two strings. Wow. And every so often I got to touch it. But for all that time, that did, I can just keep that one hand up in the air. Wow. So that's how he performed the songs. And that's why it looks the way it does. Saxon on Rock School. All right, coming into the break. Do you remember in the movie This Is Spinal Tap, there's a scene before the concert where Tufnell has very small bread but big meat pieces. So he has to fold the meat to go in the bread, and then he tries to fold the bread over, and the manager looks uh, at him and goes, why would you fold the bread over? And, and he's, I'm a professional. I will rise above it. According to somebody who worked on the on the movie, it states 
there's a Rolling Stone profile of Van Halen claiming the band had ordered no brown M&Ms backstage. So that was their homage to no brown M&Ms. There's a scene where Spinal Tap becomes lost backstage. Mm -hmm. It was inspired by a video of Tom Petty at a concert in Germany walking through a series of doors trying to find the stage and one is finally opened up and it's a tennis court. Oh no. Yeah, that actually happened. Oh, no, that's awful. Uh, Apparently, it has happened more than once. Yeah. Uh, Steven Tyler, I know, did it, where rock stars were watching this Mm -hmm. and were saying, I don't get, this isn't funny. This isn't (laughs) funny. It's because it's their existence. (laughs) It's what happens. I'm trying to think. Alice Cooper said the idea of getting caught in the pods. Yes. I work with so much stuff on stage that something fails just about every night. You have no choice. You got to go. Yes. You know, you got to keep pedaling through. He said, but the pod's not opening. Right. Common. Yeah. Absolutely common. Scary. Uh, When the band was looking over Elvis's grave, it was not Elvis's grave. It was a mock-up in an L.A. park because they weren't allowed to come and film at Graceland. Right. The only reason they sang Heartbreak Hotel is because it's the only Elvis songs that they were able to afford the rights to. Aww. Or they'd have sung something else. There's a famous scene where Artie Fufkin who is Polymer Records Midwest Promotions Executive, uh-huh. played by Paul Schaefer. He's unable to conjure up any attendees for the band's autograph session. Nobody shows up. And he's like, it's timing. I knew I had the timing wrong. Well, he turns around, puts his hands on a desk or something, and he says, kick my beep. Kick me in the beep. Just kick my beep. Where did that come from? According to Harry Shearer... It's almost a literal transcription of something that happened to Michael and me on the road. They just sat and went back and forth. Michael, by the way, is Michael McKeon, who plays David St. Hubbins. But somebody did something with them on the road and literally turned around and said, kick my, hmm, kick me in the... Hmm. Oh, my goodness. And that is where it came from. Who's wow. listening to us on the show? W-O-U-B, Athens, Ohio. Fantastic. Back in a minute here on Rock School. Remember me saying that Steven Tyler watched it and also Alice Cooper? I don't think Steven Tyler thought it was funny at all, but Alice Cooper looked at it and went, it's true. Yes. The pod not opening. Apparently, cinematographer for the movie Peter Smokler, S-M-O-K-E-L-E-R, had worked on some rock docs with Jimi Hendrix and the Rolling Stones, and he kept saying throughout the production, I don't understand what's funny about this. This is exactly what they do. (laughs) Okay, where did the name Spinal Tap come from? According to two or three people who are in the movie, Uriah Heep. They wanted something that had the same general rhythm, Uriah Heep, Spinal Tap. And they wanted the same general rhythm, and they liked Uriah Heep. And and after coming up with about a thousand different what have you, somebody saw in an article about a Spinal Tap. Right. That, that, yeah, that's it. 
Spinal Tap. And nice. it's one of those, you know, it, there's a scene in, in Monty Python, um, the, uh, the Holy Grail, where somebody goes, what else floats in water? Rocks, rocks, very small churches. And the, the king, King Arthur, goes, a duck. And everyone turns around and goes, oh, a as duck. if that is the blatantly correct answer. That is the answer. You got to know when somebody went spinal tap. Ah, oh. yeah, you got to know. The advent of David St. Hubbin's girlfriend, Janine Pettibone, played by June Chadwick, splitting up the band was based on, can you guess? Oh, it's got to be our girl, uh, what's her name? Oh, her, Yeah, with the Beatles. Yeah, she was in that thing. Yeah, yeah, with, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah John. Yoko, I think, is That's who you're it. talking about. Uh, now, let's talk about the two other bands that Spinal Tap was previous. One of them was the Thamesmen. I think that was with drummer Stubby Peeps, who died in a bizarre gardening accident, mm-hmm. which actually happened. For real. We'll... we'll tell you about that in a little bit they sang a song called gimme some money blatantly based on the song money that's what i want and they're shown performing on a 1965 british program called pop look and listen which is so blatantly making fun of top of the pops and another one the listen to what the flower people say The idea was to capture a, quote, soon-to-be-satanic band in a state of innocence, imparting its belief that not only flower people did exist, but that they should listen to them. According to people who were on the movie, it is based on multiple psychedelic groups in general, but the one that created the look, and when you see it, and then you go look at the band, you will understand it. It's the Strawberry Alarm Clock incense and peppermints and when you look at them side by side you're going to go oh yeah wow oh yeah i did not know that it's a a strawberry alarm clock here on rock school Okay, let me give you one more from the show. This really is life imitating art or art imitating life. Do you remember the scene? It may be the most famous line from the movie that, well, this goes to 11. Yes. To which the Rob Reiner character goes, well, why don't you just have it the same and make 10 louder? Well, this goes to 11, right? (laughs) It is said, and I I found this, and I'm not sure that it's true, but it is said that the first plate, that's that anodized aluminum that has the numbers behind the dials and such. Yes, You can buy a plate from just about any amp manufacturer where it will go up to 11. Nice. However, the first one is believed to be by Marshall, which, by the way, created the amp for the, you know, created the plate for the movie. Wow. And it is said the first one that was sold as a general market offering was purchased by Eddie Van Halen. Uh-uh. Is that true? Yes. Uh, 
I'd like it to be. Yes, it is. Welcome to the bottom of the hour. I'm Joe Burns. You are? Tammy Burns. All right, let's do seven days in 70 seconds. These be the dates, September 5, all the way through September 11th. You got Monday, Tammy. Do it. September 5th, 1969. Happy birthday, Dweezil Zappa. September 6, 2001. Britney Spears dances with a big, giant yellow snake while singing I'm a Slave for You at the MTV Music Awards. September 7th, 1974. George Harrison launches his Dark Horse record label. September 8, 1996, Tupac Shakur is shot six times following a Mike Tyson fight in Vegas. He will die six days later. September 9, 1994, Michael Jackson and Lisa Marie kiss on the MTV Music Awards. Do you remember watching that? Yes. Wasn't it maybe the most cringe oh, it thing was creepy. of the year? Creepy. Wow. September 10, 1999, standing on the corner in Winslow, Arizona, Park opens in Winslow, Arizona, and we've been there. Yeah, we have. We stood by the flatbed Ford. Yes, That's, we did. It, it, I would say it slowed down to take a look at me, but it was parked. It didn't. Yeah. September 11, 2001, radio stations across the United States and the world stop playing music and begin broadcasting the news from New York City that planes had hit the World Trade Towers. Okay. Throughout the rest of the show, I have got all kinds of stories from rock stars who had their own Spinal Tap moment. We said multiple times already that bands will look at this and go, well, that's not funny. That's what happens. That's life. You know, and hopefully they, they have to know that these guys were just nicely making fun of them. Yes. And it, I remember when they were looking for another drummer, Mick Fleetwood, because you remember the last drummer just exploded. Right. So Mick Fleetwood came out and auditioned and he was wearing a fire suit. <laughs> I, I think people understand oh. that this is this was done out of love. The one I thought was hilarious, and I've I've heard this from so many bands, the joke is that you don't you don't know where you are. You know, if it's Tuesday, this must be Cleveland. Right. So what they do is they put a big piece of tape that says Cleveland or Toledo. Yes. Or what have you. And even the guy from Judas Priest said it's happened. You know, hello, Cleveland. We're in Cincinnati. Hello. Yeah. Where am I? Guns and Roses had that embarrassing a moment on February 14th when their guitar tech, Mick Bob, exclaimed, Hello, Sydney! in Melbourne, Australia. This is apparently really bad. Uh-oh. This is like saying, Hello, Cleveland, in Pittsburgh. Ooh. Or verse visa. Slash went on and apologized for the band's, quote, Spinal Tap intro. Yes. This is Spinal Tap, break like the wind, Yep, that's the joke here on Rock School. We are the children who grew too fast. We All right, here are, into the second break, by the way, here are some Spinal Tap moments that actually happened. Blink-182's Mark Hoppus told NME, New Music Express, basically Britain's Rolling Stone, we have gotten lost in venues multiple times trying in vain to find the stage. I find that 
so difficult to believe. Don't don't they have don't someone? Don't they have a roadie saying, hey, this way? I mean, I haven't played huge venues, but I've played theaters. And there's always a woman in a red coat pointing the way. And it's not just that. There's a thousand people. Right. There's ten people backstage. There's not one person that can't walk you. Follow me. Right. Especially if it's weird. Um, there's a band called Bell and Sebastian. Somebody plays with them called Stuart Murdoch. He said he went backstage, took a wrong turn, opened the door, and ended up in a shopping center. And what was even funnier, he said, thank goodness. Somebody said to him, thank goodness you didn't go out into the shopping center. Because if that door closes, Can't get it back locks. In. That's right. It locks. He'd have to go and uh, just buy some clothes. <laughs> and come back. You look great. Wow. <laughs> in 1997, you two got stuck inside a giant lemon. There's the pod scene which was meant to emerge as part of a dramatic opening to their encore. It was weirdly like Spinal Tap's pod scene. The band simply gave up after a while, accepted their fate, and performed the song from inside oh of my gosh. The Lemon. And where's another one that I really wanted to... No, no, I'll save that one for a little bit. Who's listening to us here on the Rock School Show? KCMJ, Colorado Springs, Colorado. Fantastic. Back in a minute here on Rock School. Coming out of the break, I knew I had written this down, but I marked through it like I had done it already. The incident, we we just mentioned it uh, in the break about the giant uh, lemon that was supposed to open up for you two. Yes. That was part of the pod scene. That pod scene where Derek Smalls gets trapped on stage was taken from a real-life event involving Screamin' Jay Hawkins at the Apollo Theater in 1956. Now, you mentioned while we were allowing that one minute for the affiliates to run that when we saw Alice Cooper and he laid down into the coffin, yes, it, it was a, a ruse. You know, the coffin, the bottom fell out and he rolled somewhere else and Frankenstein appeared and all that. It was just a way for him to get off stage. Uh-huh. He wasn't just lying in the coffin. Oh, I thought he was. No, it was a way for him to get off so that he could come back dressed as something else. Oh, so my bad. apparently Screamin' Jay Hawkins would lie down in a casket. And the problem is the casket lid went boom, and they couldn't get the silly thing. And it was probably a real one, huh? And I'm thinking to myself, (gasps) why would it lock? Why would it lock? I guess what they are you, just lock. What are you trying? Keeping? Are you trying to keep in or keep out? Ooh. Hmm, that's what I want to know. All right, let's talk about the album that shows up in the movie called "Smell the Glove." The concern was that Bobby Fleckman, who worked for Spinal Tap's label, described it as a, quote, greased naked woman on all fours with a dog collar around her neck and a leash and a man's arm extended out, holding on to the leash and pushing a black glove in her face to sniff it. Here's the thing. You never see the album. Really? Now, can you see some people who mocked it up online? Yes. But in the movie, you never see the album. What happens? Well, the album comes out, and it's just black. There's nothing. And Tufnell (laughs) says something like, it's black. How much more black could it be? None more black. To which you say, why is this in this show? Well, because... 
Hasn't there been two albums that were absolutely black, like Metallica's Black Album and Jay-Z's Black Album? Right. You can't tell me that Spinal Tap wasn't in some way into that. Let's go further. Has this ever been done for real? Yepper! Go look at the Strokes album, Is This It? Now, if you see the one in America, it's like this psychedelic blue and greenish hue, and it's just kind of a splatter. Whereas the album that was told no is a woman leaned over with her bare bottom and a glove on her butt. And you'll never convince me that the Strokes didn't do that because of Spinal Tap. Yeah, they did. And the fact that somebody, some Bobby Fleckman somewhere looked at it and said, no, we're not releasing that, probably made them the happiest young man in all of the land. So here you go. It's going to be on tonight. (laughs) See? Everybody makes mistakes. Tonight I'm going to rock you Spinal Tap here on Rock School. Good line. I'm I'm going to tell the people what it was. Okay. The Rock School Show is a production. We do the breaks first, and then I edit them all together, so everything goes ridiculously smoothly, and, and I talk right up to the singing and or a beat or something. That's That's the reason it's so clean. I put it together after the fact. And to do the show, traditionally, is nine breaks. And I said to her, oh, we're coming into the ninth break, and she said, why would you do that for this show? Why wouldn't you do 11 for this show and explain to the audience that this show goes to 11? Yeah, it does. I would have done that had I thought of that. Okay, we'll finish with this one. Stumpy Peeps, who was Spinal Tap's first drummer, I think it was when they were the Thamesmen, died in a bizarre gardening accident. It was during the interview section of the movie where they talk about another drummer who died choking on his vomit, but it wasn't his vomit. Right. And they talk about shark sandwich where somebody called it the S-word sandwich. And where is that? You can't print that and, and all that. But it's the bizarre gardening accident, which was itself funny until it happened in 1992. Yes. Toto's drummer, Jeff Picaro, fell ill after spraying and inhaling an insecticide in his garden. Later that day, dying of a heart attack. I know. I know. It was, it was unbelievable. And it even goes on. The keyboard players of the Grateful Dead, all but two of the band's six keyboardists, have died either on the job or soon after leaving the band. Mm. So in Spinal Tap, it was drummers in The Grateful Dead. It was keyboardists. And so there. All right, we got to play something to get out. And my favorite by far is the Little Children of Stonehenge, where they really chew on that British accent. Okay, I'm Joe Burns. You are? I'm Tammy Burns. Go watch the movie Spinal Tap. If you haven't, I, I teach the film history class. In, in, at my university, and sooner or later, I run into a student, I'll mention The Godfather or something like that, and a student will say to me, you know, I've never seen any of The Godfathers. 
And instead of going, what's the matter with you? I say, oh, please get yourself, you know, a huge thing of Jiffy Pop popcorn and a two liter bottle of Coke and just watch them all in a row. Yes. I, I think you even watch number three of The Godfather. It stinks. It has some wonderful scenes in it. There's some bad parts. But if you haven't seen Spinal Tap, I beg of thee, watch it. And it, I hope at the end of it, it's like Rocky Horror Picture Show. You either, and Monty Python, you either think it is the funniest thing that has ever been created in the history of mankind, or you don't get it at all. Right. And that's what makes it glorious. So that's it. Class is dismissed. In ancient times, hundreds of years before the dawn of history, lived a strange race of people, the Druids. No one knows who they were or what they were doing. Into the living room.